Will Idris Elba get to play Jenny Bond? Answer me this, answer me this. Is there a software update for my magic wand? Answer me this, answer me this. Helen and Ollie, answer me this. Reunited and it feels so good. I told you we'd be back. Oh, in case you've forgotten who we are. Due to the lengthy break, I am Helen Zaltzman. And I am Ollie Mann. And I'm Martin Sandman. So you have had a very eventful time during our break. Some of it good. Let's start with the good. Yes. Um, On the day our last episode came out, so did baby man that's correct yes god i'd forgotten that it was the same day <laughs> amazingly same I had release other things date. on my <laughs> <laughs> you, weren't, you weren't listening to the final cut of our episode in the delivery room no i wasn't and i also wasn't as one questionnaire wrote to us to ask singing happy birthday to my baby someone said no. why don't you sing happy birthday at the point that the newborn baby arrives because that would be absolutely <laughs> insane and you've been awake for 36 hours is I, the answer i can see the head ah, <laughs> you just want to be ready right right the yeah. second he slithers out all right love keep pushing to you <laughs> Um, yeah. Uh, so yes, yes. Uh, Harvey is his name. Harvey. Yeah, we named him after my favourite restaurant, the Harvester. Uh, and, but Harvey uh, for short. Yeah. That's a great name. Thank you. I, I'm on record as saying you would ace the name. Mm. I think you aced the name. But yeah. Do you mean that? Yeah. Yeah. There's no reservations. No. If I had reservations, I would just say, "Ah, oh, but what a cutie!" Which he also is. An adorable baby. Oh, thank you very much. And if I didn't think that, I'd be like, "Lovely smile." <laughs> <laughs> Historically, on this podcast, you have said such things as. I don't like babies. Babies can fuck themselves. Mm. Um, are you, um, have you revised your opinion now that you've got one? No, when it comes to other people's babies. So oh, I still right. stand by that comment. All of your babies' listeners can go fuck themselves. <laughs> yeah. um, but uh, indeed, uh, as you're insinuating, when it comes to one's own, uh, one does feel differently. And that certainly has been the case for me. I, I, I go into some detail about the whole uh, birthing experience on my other podcast, The Modern Man. But suffice to say, I was and this never happens, mm-hmm. completely speechless when he was born. Wow, first time, yeah. Uh, yeah, I've never been speechless before. I couldn't I couldn't string a sentence together. I was overwhelmed with emotion. I couldn't. I basically couldn't talk for about four hours. And when I called my parents to tell them they were grandparents, I couldn't get the words out. They thought I was taking a piss. I was completely debilitated with an overwhelming... You've never uh, felt feelings of, before. <laughs> <laughs> they all came at once. Came at once. Is this what you humans call love? <laughs> it, was, it was my Dr. Spock moment. But she's doing well, the baby's doing well, you're doing well. Yeah, I guess so. Um, Harvey's new thing at the moment is he's now he's four months old now. Um, he's learned how to roll onto his front. Genius! Um, yes, I think he is very clever. That's one thing I noticed right from uh-huh. the beginning. From day one, like I've seen other babies who sort of sit in the corner of the room, look at a wall and they look bored all the time. Mm-hmm. He looks around and he seems engaged. So I, 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 fingers crossed he's going to be clever. He might just have a wise face. No, he's got my face. Looks like he's smiling all the time even when he's miserable. Okay. <laughs> <laughs> um, but anyway... He, tears of a clown. <laughs> yeah, exactly. Uh, but he's managed to get himself on his front, but he now can't roll over the whole oh, way. He's only half genius, so half he, idiot. Exactly, yeah. Again, takes after me. So uh, when I walk into a room, any room, you don't in my know house, how to walk out again. Uh, <laughs> <laughs> uh, at the moment, all I'm hearing is is my baby lying on his front, going. Ah, ah. So Harvey Man, all round thumbs up, but. Something very sad happened as well in the Mann family. Uh, yeah, my father died. Stanley Mann, who's kind of legendary to listeners of this podcast, yeah. I think. And yeah. to people who knew him in life. Yeah, yes. <laughs> I credit more the people that knew him in life, but it was very sweet when uh, um, news got out there that he'd passed away, that a few listeners to answer me this did email me and say that they'd actually listened to, re-listened to episode 200, mm. which after mm. all you now have to purchase, uh-huh. uh, in tribute to, uh, to him. Uh, yeah, he featured a few times on the show. 
Uh, yeah, it was very sudden. So from his point of view, quite good, actually. But like shit for people left behind because he didn't get to say goodbye. And it was yeah. very sudden and all that. And he did meet his grandchild, though. So that's... He did. They had uh, they met four times. In a week. Which, considering yeah. he was only a week old, uh, it was pretty good going. Those are like the two biggest events of your emotional life. Yeah, I got them done together. Yeah. Got it all done at once. Um, and mm. extra poignant, you had just been given a promotion from being the policeman. Yes, that's right. I forgot about that. Listeners will remember, I think. Uh, yeah, this is a reference that you won't understand as you're a long-time listener, but my dad used to call me the policeman uh, because I didn't like to keep uh, packets of butter beyond their use-by date. <laughs> um, well, policeman's are. And, that, that was his kind of thing, that wasn't was it? Yeah, yeah. And uh, just, I'd already, I'd forgotten. What did he call me the, the day before he died? Sergeant Major, I think it might have been. <laughs> I can't remember. Anyway, I'd, I'd just got a promotion. So yeah, so there was that. Uh, and then, uh, three weeks later... Uh, my employers decided not to renew my contract. Fantastic. Very tactful timing on their part, I feel. Maybe they're like, well, he already feels bad, so now's the time to pull that plug. So this is this is LBC, the radio station that I work for, and uh, they made a decision that they would rather employ Katie Hopkins than me. Well, I've got news for you, Ollie. As of next episode of Answer Me This, you will be replaced by <laughs> Katie Hopkins. And the, the truth is, I, I, genuinely, I mean, I'm not a big fan of Katie Hopkins, as you might expect, but but uh, she does what she does very well. It's yeah. different to what I do. <laughs> I think it takes a toll on one's life more than what you do. Yes. But when I heard that it was her that was coming in and I was going, I sort of thought, well... Fair enough. We're doing very different things. You are. And you are. Uh, LBC did give me my first radio show, and I'm I'm a I'm a radio professional now, thanks to them. And yeah. hopefully, I'll get to work for them again in the future. So I, I genuinely am not bitter about it, but it just the timing was not fantastic for my personal life. Yeah, if, I have to be honest about that. If you put that in a sitcom, it would seem a bit artificial. Yes, exactly. Yeah. Um, mm. Tell the listeners who was covering for you when you were off work having the baby. <laughs> uh, Nigel Farage. Of course. Obviously. Uh, again, he'll be he'll be sitting in for me on future episodes of Answer Me This, I'm sure. Well, actually, we kept going during the break. I just had him in instead. <laughs> uh, so anyway, that's what I've been up to. Uh, but that, but since since that shit sandwich with Harvey in the middle, um, yeah. there has been some just, other stuff that's been good. Yeah, um, I'm, I'm relieved to hear it because that is that is an extraordinary opener to the year. Yeah, it was. It was. Yeah, I, I felt like you have dealt with everything admirably. Oh, thanks. I don't know. I mean, you just do. Not that you need my approval. I, I think actually having the baby makes it all very grounding. Yeah. You know, you it, you have someone to care for, someone you have to look after. That's your priority then. Yeah. And he, he'd be like, I don't care if you've been replaced by Katie Hopkins because I've done a shit and I need you to sort it out. <laughs> exactly. The shit is not going to wait. And it's rising up to my neck. Oh, That's really? the thing that happens. Babies. Hi, this is John from Portsmouth. Um, I'm in, I've been looking at a few um, cookery programmes, not that I'm particularly a chef or anything or even, a, even an amateur cook, but I keep noticing that lots of them ask for kosher salts so what is the difference between kosher salt and normal salt? Cheers. Well, it is a coarser grain um, mm. and it is used... It's not actually a kosher substance because salt is all kosher. It's used for making for things kosher. kosher. So yes. when you're drawing the traces of blood out of meat, you use a coarse grain salt because if you used a fine grain salt, all the salt would be absorbed into the meat and make it unbearable even for the palates of a lot of Jews. Now, why is all salt kosher, I wonder to myself, when it's in the sea and may have been brushed by mollusks? Not all salt mm. is in the sea. Ah, yeah. but you said all salt is kosher. Uh, yeah. Some salt is in the sea. Um, is that salt suitable red, for... Said the little red hen. Um, <laughs> just, just doing my rabbinical spot on the show. The reason why some recipes might specify kosher salt rather than normal salt They're is... being pretentious. Uh, well, yes, they are. Well, I think in Britain we would call it, what would we call it, coarse salt or flaky salt. But kosher salt does not contain some of the additives that the fine salt contains, because that has things to stop it clumping, like iodine and some 
cooks won't want that in their recipes because it can alter some of the flavors of other things in an adverse way and then sometimes they don't want to use sea salt because the minerals in that can discolor pickles you don't want a discolored pickle and also it's easier when you're cooking to pick up a little finger full of kosher salt and sprinkle it evenly than it is with fine stuff fine those are the reasons but i think uh, i mean i've recently got into cookbooks you know i always used to just make stuff up um and now i've started to try and be disciplined and follow recipes oh you've really changed with fatherhood um, <laughs> um, i've never really identified with jamie as much as i do now <laughs> um and you know there's this constant thing of oh i don't have that particular ingredient is it worth going out to buy it and so sometimes you think okay that's such a specialist thing you know rose water i think maybe i should buy that because i can't really substitute that yeah that's a flavoring that if it's supposed to be there, you'll notice you'll that notice it's not. not there. Exactly. And in some of those like Middle Eastern recipes, you know, za'atar, things like that, yeah. you kind of think, well, I'm sure I could blend spices together myself, but I'd rather <laughs> just go to Waitrose and get that thing. Yeah. But then there are those ones that are in between where you think surely there's a substitute for that. And kosher salt is absolutely in that category, isn't it? Like it means salt, basically. Yeah. So you've just explained it means coarse salt. If it's for flavour only, like if you're throwing it into a stew, doesn't really matter. So I think every recipe should say salt... I use kosher salt. That means, mm. doesn't it? Well, don't knock yourself out. Don't go specially to go and buy kosher salt. But some people would. Some people were like, oh, it says mirin. I have to have mirin. I well, can't use vinegar. This, this, I think, reflects how some people use cookbooks. Some people want them to be extremely prescriptive and some people write them wanting them to be extremely prescriptive and other people feel the freedom to interpret the ingredients but and the recipe. But give people the opportunity to but be they free, have that Don't chain them down They have the opportunity because the book's not saying, I'm watching you. And if you use the wrong salt, <laughs> I am climbing out this book and punching you in the face. Yeah, well, you see, this is the problem with it. Do you remember Delia caused all that controversy? She was prescriptive. She was too prescriptive. She did a book called... Actual um, brands you have to buy in order for this recipe to work. Yeah, exactly. I believe was the title. Uh, yeah, I, think, I think it was How to Cheat was the book. But anyway, I got How it. How to make money. How to, yeah. <laughs> How to sell a cookbook. Well, I got a copy from the Oxfam in St Albans, which, by the way, if anyone listening to this likes cookery and lives in Hertfordshire... Go to the Oxfam in St Albans every January. Aww. Every Christmas cookbook, £2. Go once a year, spend 20 quid, get all 10 of them. They don't even have any recipes caked on the pages. <laughs> exactly. <laughs> so literally, someone's Christmas present, they've given it straight to the Oxfam. Multiple copies of all the big celebrity chefs. Anyway, yeah. Delia's How to ch- Cheat. I-, I got a copy from the Oxfam in St Albans. And I thought this would be great because this is the kind of level of cooking where it'd be easy, it'd be casual. You know? Oh, oh, it's Delia's stuff- not casual. Well, that's what it's I... It's like a drill sergeant. Exactly. So I thought it'd be store-covered ingredients, but no, yes. it's, it's precisely... You, yeah, half a lemon from the Sainsbury's Taste the Difference preserved lemon thing that was discontinued four years ago. <laughs> like, Delia. Well, you spend less time cooking, but more time shopping. That's that's the bargain you've that's made the with that book. Exactly. I don't like it. If you've got a question... Then email your question to want to be this podcast at googlemail.com. Want to be this podcast at googlemail.com. Be this podcast at googlemail.com. Want to be this podcast at googlemail.com. Our inbox has been uh, more than usually amorous, I've noticed, since we've returned. I think it's partly because whilst we were away, Valentine's Day happened, um, and partly because we released that 
hour-long special about love, but we have lots of questions about love dilemmas. We uh, get a lot of them anyway. I think it was just the anyway. fact that we had four months worth in one go. So we've discounted a lot just because we kind of think, well, that relationship has either ended or resolved. Um, <laughs> yeah, sometimes when someone's got a problem, you just need to leave leave it yeah. to run its course. So everyone who wrote to us in February, yeah, he probably doesn't like you, sorry. Mm. But this one uh, is relevant to now, to June. We have to do it okay. now. Um, so it was sent in kind of April-ish. I don't know if, John, you've made a decision about this yet, but let's try and help you out. Okay. Uh, it is John from New Orleans who says, I've decided I want to propose to my girlfriend. Oh. Correct. Uh, <laughs> he says, I'm certain she doesn't listen to the podcast, by the way, so this does not impinge upon secrecy. What if she does and she's been keeping it a secret from you all this time? Oh, no, 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 don't, don't say that because we, we want him to feel Sorry. frank about this. This is your safe space, John. Carry on. Um, uh, I would really love to propose to her at a particular remote alpine lake in her home state of Montana. Oh, oh, is it um, Lake McDonald or Lake Five? Flathead. Or Flathead Lake. Those are lakes we've been to in Montana that are remote and alpine. I'm glad Flathead is a lake rather than that just being a heckle to Helen while she was talking. Oh, Flathead. <laughs> She's far from a Flathead. Bulbous well, it's, head. It's qu- well, it's quite flat on top, actually. It can balance things. No, out. you're yeah. a roundhead. It's very round. You, you look, look like a cavalier. You look like a gazalian. Okay, thanks. Carry uh, on. Anyway, I don't know which lake it is. Yeah. Uh, but I'm he just, says, just saying good for you. There's some lovely lakes in Montana's lakes alpine yeah. remote places. Yeah, just showing that you have knowledge I, of lakes. I, I understand why you would want to go to there there is water in montana and it's nice lake mcdonald's gravel is multicolored. it's pretty uh john says this particular lake is of great nostalgic significance to my girlfriend as she spent many summers camping and canoeing there in her youth she calls it her favorite place in the world and a place where she's truly at peace and in her element so i hope she says yes otherwise that place will be tainted for her (laughs) exactly uh since we live far away from montana in my hometown of new orleans uh, and will for the foreseeable future i think she'd like to have at least one really powerful memory tying our relationship to her childhood happy place Uh, although as helen suggests if your relationship then goes sour in fact what you've done is is make sure she has nowhere to escape to and you've corrupted her childhood memories fantastic Uh, (laughs) we can't afford to visit montana often continues john but as it turns out we're planning a trip there in june oh what if they're there right now i know that is now folks so Uh. quick decision is needed Uh, this may present my last opportunity to propose at the lake for some considerable time to come Mm -hmm. but here's the catch okay had to be a catch the reason we planned this visit to montana is to attend a memorial service for my girlfriend's grandmother who passed away a few months ago. So, Helen, answer me this. Is it a bad idea to take advantage of this sombre occasion and propose during our trip, given that it's likely to be my last chance for a long while to do so at this place that means so much to her? My girlfriend has already mentioned that she might like to include a camping trip on the itinerary, Mm -hmm. but I wouldn't want to preempt her chance to reflect on her lost loved one, nor do I want her permanently associating our marriage with her grandmother's death. I don't think that she necessarily would, especially if it's a memorial service that's a little later. Yes, I think it's it was not the, the funeral. No, if it was the funeral and it was like a week after, mm. I think that would be inappropriate. But this, you can celebrate her grandmother's life. It doesn't have to be miserable it might not be well i don't know her family but also you could introduce a happy element to an otherwise melancholy weekend yeah you know the the end of something but the beginning of something else i don't think it's too bad an idea i think the fact that she's requested a camping trip as you suggest john does indicate that she's not thinking oh somber occasion we have to be serious yeah can't do anything else enjoyable on this jaunt yes but 
the camping trip that could just be between you two or whoever else you bring along the proposal is something that's going to have to be communicated to her family when you've just been proposed to you want to ring up your family and say oh god we're engaged to be married right oh i see so if the family would think it insensitive that i think the gone family on the might think it insensitive. but if they don't then it's fine exactly so this is for john to gauge himself without checking with her or her family are they the kind of people that would be offended by you going on a camping trip at the same time as your grandmother's memorial exactly and think about the other i mean i don't know how many grandchildren or children this woman who's passed away had but don't just think about the one that is directly your girlfriend's parent Mm. think about their siblings because you are going to be affecting your girlfriend's parent with grief if their siblings kick off about it as well i think actually this is the kind of occasion where everyone is like oh a happy event Mm. yeah i think i think you're right it was like um when i went to your dad's funeral and it was less than two weeks after harvey had been born but when he arrived later in the day everyone's like oh harvey and they seemed genuinely joyful to see him yeah but you see i was very wary at the time i thought i don't want people to have their first association of meeting my son to be at my father's funeral so i mean he could have come to the graveside and he didn't for that reason Mm -hmm. So I'm conscious of the thing of like judging the tone correctly. I do think it does depend, John, on your girlfriend's family. And we can't advise you on that. You have to make that decision, yeah. Helen says. The one thing I disagree with you on is you say make that decision without them. Possibly think about making that decision with them. I mean, not from a kind of old-fashioned, I want to ask your father's yeah, hand in marriage which gives thing. me the creeps. Yeah, but just actually, you know, if you've been together for a long time, they may be expecting this anyway. Maybe there's someone in the family who could run it past as well, just to see if there's other shit going on you don't know about. You do live on the other side of the country. I think maybe an easy way to play this would be to act like it was spontaneous and not planned. And then you're kind of defusing the idea that it was planned and may have annoyed people. I think she'll smell bullshit. Uh, I mean, Martin, you uh, proposed to Helen around her birthday, didn't you? Around her 30th birthday, which which did bring yeah. some happiness to an otherwise very sombre event. <laughs> <laughs> um, well, let us know how it goes, John. I think go ahead and do it. Don't you? I don't think there are too many problems associated with it. I think talk to the family. I think take a punt. So that's two say do it, one says do it with caution. Okay. So basically do it is the outcome. Do it with 33% caution. <laughs> uh, listeners, um, during our absence, we did release an album all about love. Yes, this is the uh, Answer Me This Love album. That is what it is called. So we took that to mean sex as well. Should you be buying sexy clothes for your mum? Uh, how do you make it fun to put on a condom? Mm. Um, what is that liquid squirting out of your girlfriend's vagina? That kind of thing. <laughs> Um, and um, they're real questions. It's just it's an ex- if you've if you've not uh, engaged with our albums before, they are effectively hour long special editions of this podcast. It's just all around one theme. So they're questions you've never heard before in the podcast, uh, and you can buy it on iTunes and Amazon, and also the Answer Me This store. Yes, thank you for saying it with a very clear stir. Uh, because I did listen back to the last episode and it sounded a bit like you were saying answer me this door.com. Open the answer me this door. <laughs> it is. Well, <laughs> the answer me this store in a way is your door to our world of paid for content. Yes. Uh, <laughs> but it is answer me this store.com. Buy answer me this door.com <laughs> and redirect to answer me this store.com. Okay, all right. And also, if you want to read more about the album before leaping in to purchase it, you can go to answer me this podcast.com slash love and you can listen right now to a clip from it as today's intermission. It's Jacob in Wisconsin. Um, Helen, answer me this. Why is the term horny used to describe being sexually aroused? Uh, It just makes me think of spiky, sharp vaginas, and that really doesn't do it for me. I I always imagine this was because a curve stiffy looks a bit like a horn. Yeah, that's right. Well, maybe the profile of his own 
erect member is very different to a horn. Well, that's true, in which case we shouldn't be laughing at all. No, well, imagine if it was curly like a ram's horn. Yes, exactly, yeah. Or forked like an elk. Yeah, exactly. <laughs> or like a narwhal. I think a lot of men wouldn't mind being as horny as a narwhal, because that's like a metre long, isn't it? It's pretty big, yeah. I think it's, it's quite, that's quite a horn. Whereas actually I think that would be very impractical in life, but I bet still most men would go for it, given the option. Well, stag's antlers is more like a tree, isn't it? And that would only be useful if you were having sex with an animal with a really complicated vagina like a duck. Listeners, deliver us questions in your voices by phoning this number. 0208123 Or you can Skype answer me this. But let me just tell you that if you did do that between basically New Year and mid-April, uh, Skype saw fit not to give us those messages. So we've, so we've never sorry, heard I'm really sorry. So to those of you who left absolute masterpieces deposited upon our phone line, which oh. from experience is probably about two of you, <laughs> um, I'm sorry, we didn't hear it. Call back. Call back. And yeah. if, if you called us drunkenly and you're probably quite relieved to hear that we haven't heard it, don't worry, you haven't embarrassed yourself. No, exactly. <laughs> it's like you did just shout into the wind. Uh, but this message did make it through. Hi, Helen and Ollie. It's Joe from Watford. Uh, Helen and Ollie, I'm Samidas. What the fuck is Ripley's uh, Believe It or Not of London and why does it exist? Well, there's two questions here then, aren't there? There's, there's what is Ripley's Believe It or Not as a touristic experience? Yes. And then there's why specifically do we have one in London when you would perhaps correctly say this sounds like an American thing? Yeah, well, because Brits, I think, are naturally quite cynical and apt not to believe. <laughs> yeah, I was thinking more just that it's so schlocky and yeah. kind of obviously from the kind of American carnival tradition. Yeah, but it give me the like option not thing. to believe, I'm going to take it. Um, it's in the Trocadero, isn't it? It's actually in the London Pavilion, which oh, is sorry. the building next to the Trocadero. Right. Uh, possibly owned by the same landlords. This is, uh, answer me this, fans, the same building that once housed Rock Circus. Ah, oh, that uh, was grand when you talked about Rock Circus, oh, which I've also never been to, as I haven't Ripley's. Right. Well, no, I've never been to Ripley's in the UK, but I've been to them all around the world well no i haven't i've been to about three in the states okay um, so not all around it no for american listeners i've been to ripley's all around the world <laughs> for everyone else i've only oh, been in God. america we're gonna um, get complaints about that. <laughs> um but uh yeah it is now in the same building that has rock circus which was my favorite childhood attraction when i was in the target demographic mm-hmm. which um, is which is, I would say, actually the same as for Ripley's. Kind of, I think they're mainly aimed at broadly, kind of nine to fourteen, right? Um, and possibly slightly skewing male as well, just because okay. there's that emphasis on sort of trivia. But obviously, right. women can be interested in that too. But I think little boys in particular, they love the accumulation of facts. But and also, there's a slightly sort of freak show element about it as well, which probably appeals a bit more to boys. I'll return to that because the freak show thing is the thing that always concerned me. Robert Ripley was an explorer who had a newspaper column in the 20s and 30s. Um, this is going back a long time. It's a long tradition now. Um, and it went all the way through to the 1950s, I believe. And he died in 1949, but the newspaper column actually continued for decades. I think it's still being printed in some newspapers around the world. And the column, the phrase was, believe it or not, exclamation mark, fact. So it was like, right. believe it or not, there are insects that can eat a human hand. Believe it or not, one man has such a large forehead, he can steer a car. That kind of thing. Believe it or not. Right? That's the format. What does it actually mean, the phrase, believe it or not? It's, it's sort of unnecessary, isn't it? You're saying a fact. It doesn't really matter whether someone can believe it or not, because it's a fact. Mm. That's what it's there for, isn't it? It's to say, well, you may be sceptical about this, but I, I assure you this is the truth. Well, that's a less catchy phrase, I own. <laughs> yeah. it's, a, it's, a, it's just a, a more um, immersive way 
a more attention-grabbing way to say, here are some surprising facts, which is not a very catchy title. <laughs> a bit like Answer Me This. You know, you're involving the listener, aren't you? Involving yeah. the, uh, the reader. Yes, your role is to decide whether or not you believe the following thing. So... <laughs> yeah, exactly. Interactive in the 20s and 30s. <laughs> exactly. And it was enormously popular uh, and then went on to become a massively popular radio show which ran for 14 years. Wow. Uh, so we're catching up, but, you know... Nine he, and a half. <laughs> that's the edge. Have we been doing this for more episodes than Kelsey Grammer did Frasier? That's, for me... That's the, benchmark. That's the benchmark. It's got to be a similar number. Don't forget uh, him playing it in Cheers. The 264 episodes of Frasier, I don't know how many well, Cheers. That's what you've got to find out. Right. Uh, Carry on. So, yeah. Anyway, it was just being developed into a TV show when Ripley died. Mm-hmm. Um, he made a TV show, I guess it was also called Ripley's Believe It or Not. You wouldn't mess with that name if that name was the successful label, yeah. despite being nonsense. Don't drop the hit. <laughs> and uh, he uh, died on stage. Did a Tommy oh. Cooper. Yeah. I mean, pre-Tommy oh. Cooper, so he wouldn't have known that. We wouldn't have known anything. He had a heart attack. But anyway, he was on stage talking about the uh, origins of the military funeral hymn Taps. Wow. Yeah. People would have been like, well, if you talk about funeral facts, then naturally. Yeah. So when did he die? He died in 1949. And uh, when did the houses of Believe It or Not <laughs> begin? <laughs> Are there lots of them? Um, the first auditorium, that's what he called them. <laughs> 1934 at the World's Fair. Um, mm-hmm. So he, he lived to see his uh, creation spin off into an interactive exhibit, but perhaps he didn't live to see the uh, touristic beer moth that it's become. No. Uh, because basically, wherever you find American tourists, you find a Ripley's Believe It or Not. Well, that explains why there is one next to Piccadilly Circus. Circus. Which is essentially Orlando, but in the rain. Um, <laughs> <laughs> which is why it's terrible. Um, but um, in London, the Ripley's Believe It or Not there, which opened a couple of years ago, is the largest in the world, which I didn't know. It opened a couple of years ago? Yeah, I think, or maybe... Well, I'm, I'm, I assumed it had been there since the 70s. Oh, no, no, no. I mean, I'm, huh. I'm estimating, but I mean, it's definitely not been there for more than five years. I'm yeah. amazed. Yeah, I assumed really? it was just a relic of another time of tourism that they couldn't quite be bothered to get rid of. Well, in a way it is, because they've got exhibits on the tallest man in the world. Uh, And they also have uh, sculptures of the fattest man Mm -hmm. to ever have lived that Ripley met, which actually they had in Guinness World Records, which was the exhibit that used to be there. Right. So So I wonder if they did inherit some of the uh, models from that. So believe it or not, it's just the more freak show elements of Guinness World Records. Yeah, but that doesn't really do it justice because it's just it's it's. Go on, Ollie, do it justice. Well, he he did do it for Ripley. <laughs> Ripley's columns were about a miscellany of things. Yeah. That's why they were so. But rather like this show, right? Rather so like you, the straight dope and many. Yeah, exactly. Things. Yeah, you know, as well as in, encouraging the audience to get involved by uh, wooing them in with such an addictive title, he'd also give them sort of a mix of tragicomic and uh, you know trivial and serious facts. So. Um, you know, yes, there's a freak show element to it, which has always made me a little bit uncomfortable. But then there's also, like, weird art and, like... So, for example, in London, um, they have, apparently, uh, a a portrait of Michelle Obama made from soda caps. Oh, Um, look at that. um, Anything with Michelle Obama. (laughs) Yeah. A Christmas card from Prince Charles to Prince Philip. Big deal! I know, again, but to a a young tourist, probably is a bigger deal. Uh, First edition books... From Agatha Christie. Okay. So it's a really sort of miscellaneous collection of stuff. And also the Titanic made out of 147,000 matchsticks. <laughs> See, that's that's what mm. you go in there for, not to look at a first edition Agatha Christie, which as spectacles go, is unremarkable. Something for everyone, 
I guess. I guess. And this is the thing that makes me a bit disconcerted. Still something for the person in 2016 who wants to say, look at this hairy woman's face. Look at this Look at this man with a tiny hand. Um, <laughs> As a Donald Trump. Um, yeah. so, so it's like Channel 4 factual programming. Yes. Three-dimensional. Exactly. No, it is very much like that. Yeah, that's the mix. I mean, he was an explorer in the 30s. Therefore, you know, people who he was writing for hadn't seen brown people. Mm-hmm. So there was a completely different level of look at this amazing thing because it was... It wasn't just look at this tribe who wear 25 brass rings around their neck. It was just look at this tribe, aren't they exotic and odd? Yeah. Um, so there's still an element of that, I think. The the, uh, the modern day website tries to put a spin on it by saying um, visitors walk through our beauty room to learn about how beauty is perceived in different cultures. Okay, so that's more anthropological than just plain exoticism. Yeah, but it's still like, ha, look at the shrunken head of this guy that lived in Brazil. Mm-hmm. It's also tremendously uh, bad value. Huh? Um, if you book in advance, by the way, if you're a tourist, you listen to this, you want to come to London, you want to go to Ripley's, uh, book in advance. How much? 50% off in advance, mm-hmm. full price on the door. Yeah. Guess. For, for a, I mean, okay, large, but essentially series of rooms showing displays, it's a museum. How much? Okay, I'm guessing with 50% off, yeah. £14. Uh, I need to do some maths. You so that would be 28 full price. Staggeringly accurate. Am I? You I are, did not look that up. You are five pence off. <gasps> and I've never been. So it's, is it 13.95? It's 27.95 per person full price. Crivens. And 50% mm, off. That's quite a lot, isn't it? But yeah. how are they dealing with the halfpenny of uh, dividing the, the 95 pence in half? <laughs> do they go up or down? Like, <laughs> I tell sure you what, you get up. to keep that halfpenny. That's uh, what they call Ripley's share. I wonder why that price point as well why the 95 why not just call it 28 pounds does, does well, anyone because think- psychologically people are like well 28 pounds would be too much yeah. but most of 27 pounds it's okay yeah. i understand the psychology when it's 9.99 yes. but 27 28 that's not a border in my mind both of those are expensive for that experience i wonder if it comes to a different price in dollars maybe that's it um, maybe it's like the 40 dollar oh, price point. Yeah, probably, probably is isn't yeah. it <laughs> it's probably that cynical despite slagging it off having read a bit about it now i'd quite like to go so if you work for okay. ripley's invite us along i'd happily go and pose with helen in front of the world's fattest man and, and one of us going i believe it and the other one going i can't <laughs> <laughs> I like reading, but not while I'm driving. Apparently, that's illegal. I want to listen to Richard Dawkins reading Darwin's Voyage of the Beagle. Me too. Well, now we can do that, and I'll keep my license by signing up for a free audiobook. Let's go to answermethispodcast.com/slash/audible and have a look. Oh, it's nice to hear those jingles again. Those are some of my favourite ever Answer Me This jingles, the Audible ones. Yeah, we're running the Audible offer again, I think for the first time since 2011, something like that. It's been years anyway. Um, So yes, the deal's the same. Uh, We, or or at least our good friends at (laughs) audible.co.uk, are offering you Answer Me This listeners the chance to have a completely free audiobook. Yay! Um, Out of, how many have they got to choose from? Now they have over 150,000 to choose from. Yeah, I remember when Audible was now but fields. It was now but 30,000 books read by Ricky Gervais. Yeah, exactly. <laughs> um, but now they're full of full of books. Yes, uh, and also this offer is available to listeners around the world. Around the world. So all you do is you go to answermethispodcast.com slash audible. Oh, I felt nice to do that again. Uh, and uh, you click the link and it will take you to your local version. So if you're in Japan, you go to the Japanese Audible. If you're in the US, you go to the US Audible and so on. And you get a free audiobook 
if you sign up for the month's free trial but you can cancel at any time yeah so that's the important thing you do put your credit card details in and obviously if you don't cancel then you'll be a member of audible which by the way is a good thing but if you don't want to pay anything you need to cancel um but if you want to support answer me this the good thing is not only do you get your free audiobook that's yours to keep that's yours to keep even if you cancel uh our friends at audible will still send us some remuneration to thank us for featuring them on the show so you are supporting answer me this just by getting this offer you're telling audible give these guys money yeah we like them yeah yeah even if you cancel so you don't have to pay anything and we can get some money and you get a free audiobook that is a deal for winners and the last audiobook that uh, i listened to was uh the actor jane lynch uh, yes. Her memoir. Does Martin always have that reaction when you say Jane Lynch? Pretty much. Yes. Uh, oh, just he just did. Yeah. Was really... Let me try one more time. Jane Lynch. Yes. Her audiobook's really good. Yeah. yeah. It's really, really good. And yeah, she's yeah. reading it, which that makes a huge difference, delightful. doesn't it? When it's it the person that's written the book, and it's about her own life, so that yeah. you know, that's she, like three levels of Jane Lynch. She digs deep, but can I spoiler this? The book kind of ends on a happy ending, in that she has just got married, but we knew at the time of listening that she and her wife were just getting divorced. Ooh. Yeah. Other than that, I think the facts remain. It sounds like a good one. Uh, the last audiobook that I listened to was David Mitchell reading his uh, oh. memoirs. Backstory, I think it's called. We both love uh, comedian actor memoirs read by that person. It's because, exactly, it's the person telling their life story. Obviously, he's a very engaging storyteller anyway. Um, and yeah, I, to be honest, no disrespect to David Mitchell. Mm-hmm. I like him. I like his career. I probably wouldn't sit and read his book. Yeah. I wouldn't sit mm. in a deck chair, that's where I tend to read on holiday, for you know three days reading about what's it like backstage on Would I Lie to You. But <laughs> when I'm walking around a, a field, yeah. perfect. Lovely. Just the dulcet tones of Mitchell in my ears. Uh, anyway, lots of other books, as in uh, 149,998 other books <laughs> to choose from uh, at Audible. Uh, and the really good thing about this offer, final thing, is that even if you've done this before... So, you know, we've run this promotion before. So have other podcasts, let's be honest. Even if you've taken out a free book on Audible before, so long as it was more than 12 months ago, they'll let you bloody do it again. Yes. That's pretty good. Answermethispodcast.com slash Audible. Thank you. Here's a tale from Leslie Ann. She says, I just stepped on a snail in bare feet. Oh, traumatic experience, I'm sure. Slimy and crunchy. Its shell is crushed, but the snail is kind of intact. Mm. Ollie, answer me this. Is it dead? Even if it's not, can a snail live without a shell? Or is it now just a slug? Ah, oh. Leslie Ann, I know you want me to say yes. It's just a slug. It's going to have a happy Murderer! life as a Murderer! slug, but um, <laughs> it does rather sound like it's going to die. I'm afraid. Uh... Um, snails can live with a partially cracked shell. Um, it's a bit like when we crack our fingernails. That's all it is. So they have calcium stores, and they can regrow some of that bone again if you leave them for, I think, 14 days. Okay. And they so if you see one that's like partially cracked but it's struggling if you put it somewhere where it can hide from predators like a snail sanatorium exactly mm-hmm. uh, and there's lots of instructions online as to how you can create one of those if if you can be asked but really i'll just shove it under your garden shed um then it will recuperate after 14 days okay. uh, but if the shell has like cracked into its organs and mm. stuff which you know usually happens when you stand on it you're quite heavy leslie ann i imagine compared to a snail compared to a snail this is not a not judging judgment. <laughs> not body shaming but you're probably heavier than the snail <laughs> exactly uh, then to be honest the best thing to do now is probably to, to euthanise that snail uh, um, which does mean drop a brick on it or salt so you so- yeah. horribly dissolving its flesh uh, apparently if you really want to quickly kill a snail boil it humanely uh-huh. uh, freeze it oh 
so it just goes to sleep. But it, this is only quick if you already have a Tupperware container full of water in the freezer. Yes. <laughs> but if you do and it's just at freezing point, if you okay. just drop it in, it'll die instantly. Mm. So there you go. That's the best thing to do. They will be alive for a while it, oh. because what it is is the um, the muscles that are connected to the shell uh-huh. are the same muscles that the snail requires to breathe. Um, oh right so it's a bit like you having a blockage on your lungs uh-huh. and then slowly just panting to death over the course of say 12 hours oh that's sad um mm. so that's why they look alive and you think oh it'll live as a slug no it's just panting to death mm. so best Sorry. to uh, to crush it okay wow. yeah if you're gonna do it do it properly yeah <laughs> don't maim a snail here's a question from claire in alistock who says helen answer me this why do maple syrup jars have a tiny handle on them that is a good point. Yeah. It's it's impractical and it's a sticky liquid, isn't it? So if it goes over the side in the future, you really want a firm grip to make sure you're not spilling it all over the place. Yeah. Why do they do that? Why do they? Why do they? What is with the tiny handles? <laughs> it's a bit like espresso cups, though. Those handles are not really for human hands, are they? But they c- control a small volume of fluid, don't they? An espresso cup. Yeah. It's exactly. appropriate. It's Whereas appropriate. a maple syrup jar, that's quite heavy when it's full. Well, it's more of a heritage handle because maple syrup originally came in these huge earthenware jugs with a big handle on them and then when they started selling it in little bottles they scaled down the whole design so the handle became tiny as well like when the independent went compact (laughs) yeah yeah exactly but but the pages didn't become proportionally loads thinner like the handle the handle is unusably small yeah but presumably it's less likely to break than if it had been a bigger i get it now it sort of makes sense aesthetically so it's like if um, Heineken or whatever sold a beer keg for your fridge that was an eighth the size of a beer keg and they put a, a fake tap on the front of it. Yeah, and the tap was so small that no beer could come out. Yeah. Yes, it is like that. Except you actually need the handle to pour the maple syrup. So it is a design flaw, isn't it? Well, I, I gather that in Quebec, which is responsible for 91% of Canada's maple syrup production... Goodness me. Their maple syrup comes in cans and you puncture two holes in the can and pour it out of one and the other one is for pacing the flow. So they don't oh. trifle with these residual handles. But um, this is an example of uh, skeuomorphic design. So mm. decorative feature that is based on a formerly essential feature. Yes, like the original podcast app, which had a reel-to-reel design. Yeah, well, do you remember just a lot of the earlier iPhone software in the Jobs era, a lot of that was skeuomorphic. Like yeah. the notebook looked like a notebook... Yeah. It's, it's still all over the place like the, the trash can on my computer is a waste paper basket and yeah. email icon is an envelope yeah. save, save is still a disc cut icon scissors I read that um, Greek columns the ones where they've got ridges down them that might be skeuomorphic even though that's ancient because the columns were before that trees tree trunks which are oh. not smooth yeah. but so it's also, a representation of wood grain yeah but also i wonder whether it's just much harder to make a perfectly smooth cylindrical column any mistake is going to be a lot more obvious than if there are some ridges on it that's what i suspect interesting okay yeah. it's it's a reasonable answer but i still think if i was a maple syrup manufacturer which you could be i'm still only 35 you, you know lbc <laughs> let you go now's yeah. the time for a new business yeah answer me this brand maple syrup is brought to you by <laughs> I haven't I checked, think- but I bet that there are hipster maple syrup brands where the packaging is novel and not like this well, pseudo-traditional that's tiny what handle I'd do. thing. Yeah. You would. I would. And I'd, I'd really give it the hard sell because I think Would you do time. a squeezy bottle like squeezy honey? Yeah, make it as convenient as possible. Spray. <laughs> Spray is good. <laughs> I'm just saying I think maple syrup would be more widely used if they changed the bottle. Maybe they don't want it to be more widely used because Canada's trees are tapped out. On that point, I, I have an issue as well. I think maple syrup is Canada's thing, right? Yeah. It's on the flag, for God's sake. Let them have a thing, Ollie. Let them have a thing. No, I agree. The point I'm making 
is actually I would insist that maple syrup had to. I would regionalize it. You know that thing like right. the feta cheese and champagne. Uh, what's the what's it called? Like the the place of origin yeah, designation. That thing. Yeah. Yeah. I would ensure that on maple syrup because. It pisses me off, actually, when I'm in every airport in North America and they've got their own maple syrup. I just think, just let Canada have their thing. That's sugar water, isn't it? Maple-flavoured sugar syrup. It's disgusting. Give it to Canada, let them sort out their bottles. The world would be a better place. Wow, you've, you've become very political in, <laughs> that, in our brain. All the important issues. <laughs> Answer me this. 1066 was the Norman invasion 1818 was the publication of Persuasion Wasn't it? I love that book, they all wear bonnets I got my own with a pretty flower on it Don't I? Amy from Leeds says, Ollie, answer me this Is it true that if you direct the pilot for a TV show I don't think that's going to happen anytime soon <laughs> I'll be honest, my agent's working quite hard on the radio gig at the moment I think she meant general you, not you, Ollie Man specifically oh, okay. But, but uh, how typical of you to interpret that Kind of about me uh, Is it true that if you direct the pilot for a TV show You get money every time any episode of that show is aired? Yes Whoa, what? Well, that was, it was a good reaction Thanks To a very hesitant yes what? I didn't say yes, to which you'd go, whoa! Okay, should I, I go, like, yeah, what? yeah, maybe. What? Whoa, whoa. Yeah, you could say that. Whoa, whoa. <laughs> believe it or not, I can't decide. <laughs> so the reason that there was a sceptical yes is the answer is a very firm yes if you are a Hollywood director. Mm-hmm. So if we're talking about the big um, sort of box set type shows, you know, your, your Billions, your Dexters, those kind of shows, mm-hmm. uh, yes, if you direct one of those, then it is written into... Uh, you know the, the Guild of American Directors or whatever uh, and the Hollywood industry in general that if you're the director on the pilot episode then at the very minimum uh, you'll of course get a very decent fee for the first episode something like $150,000 um, but then you will get at the very minimum a royalty of between one and five thousand dollars for every subsequent episode that's made. That seems extraordinary because often things change so much from the pilot episode to the series that the director of the pilot doesn't really have that much credit well but if you think about all the elements that come back week on week so the cast you Mm. know the director's been part of the casting process but then also often from pilot to series that cast can change quite a lot it can but the ones that stay the director had a role in you've got the title sequence which often the director has directed which you know can be the way that lots of people tune into the show week after week Mm -hmm. Um, and the general kind of tone and style of the show so like if you think of house of cards and david finch's involvement in that yeah um you could say that it's been directed in a Fincher-esque style ever since episode one, even though he only directed episode one. Uh-huh. And if you look at House of Cards, it's quite interesting. He's remained, I think he's executive or associate producer. And I don't know how involved he is in House of Cards. Maybe he is very involved. But what basically happens is if you get a big name like that, or Martin Scorsese in Boardwalk mm-hmm. Empire, or Brian Singer on House, what they'll do is they'll direct the first episode, get their 150 grand, then get their five grand for every episode subsequently, but say oh, and I want to be an executive producer because I've had a key role in creating this. And that comes with, I don't know, 20, 25 grand more per episode. And then they might even say, I want a sales bonus because this has gone to series as a result of my hard work and they'll get another 50 grand out the studio. So for one pilot, a big director, a Tarantino or a Spike Lee or something, can make a million dollars. But what about littler pilots? Well, if by that you mean Britain. (laughs) (laughs) Or just pilots. There are so many American series that are piloted and... They're not necessarily big. Obviously, a lot of them don't go beyond pilot. But the ones that do go beyond pilot, but just for a series or two, yeah. and it was quite a small production. Still, it's like I say, it's it's gilded. Wow. It's in the okay. it's in their equity. You you get between one and five thousand dollars for every episode. But Brits, 
But Brits, uh, as with all showbiz in this country, <laughs> uh, emphasis on the show, less on the biz. Um, we are a bunch of rank amateurs that are very bad at making money. Just happy our to be skills. taking part. Yes, yeah, exactly. Just happy to be leading the world in artistic endeavours, but also quite content to give all the money to J.K. Rowling and Ben Elton. Um, so, um, yeah, if you direct a pilot here, I believe there is no such formal arrangement. Although I suppose your agent can haggle if you're a big deal. Yeah, if you are, but if you're not, which if most not, people aren't. Which most people aren't. So I, I reckon if you've directed a pilot for Channel 4 or Try something. Try being a big deal. Yeah, exactly. And then you'll get much better returns. Use the leverage to go and make a show for Netflix. That's my advice. Right. So answer to her question, it is true. It is true. Good to know. Going to look out for directing gigs. Though. Yeah, well, exactly. And reference your <laughs> earlier Frasier point. Yeah. I mean, you know, if you're on a show that goes into hundreds of episodes... Which I am. And you're, this one. <laughs> this one, yeah. and you're making $5,000 per episode, even without the executive producer credit and everything else, yeah. you can live off that, can't you? 24 episodes yeah. a year. Syndication as well, rerunning all the time. Yeah. Uh, once there are over 100 episodes, that's when the money rolls in. Yeah. Listeners, if you have a question for us, then please do email or phone or Skype. All of our contact details are on our website. Answermethispodcast.com And this time you don't have to wait four months. There'll be another episode along in, in two weeks' Three time. Three years. To- what? <laughs> <laughs> Uh, but if uh, listening to our return has prompted you to think, oh, yeah, these guys are good. I would like to hear them elsewhere on the internet. Uh, do check out our other spin-off projects. Yeah, I saw people going, well, I've been listening to Modern Man to make up for your absence. I make a podcast too, you shits. <laughs> <laughs> it's, called, it's called The Allusionist. Yes, and it's all about words and origins and how people use words it's, and language. It's more really about humans and uh, communication oh no oh no you've been with Radiotopia too long what do people mean really <laughs> um, there are gags in there it. are gags t- in t- it. took a pop at the band Extreme the other day theallusionist.org theallusionist.org posh org right uh, yeah, indeed The Modern Man is back for another series which is almost ended by the way we do series of 10 so and then you can binge listen you can binge we talk about sex trends culture food all of that kind of thing it's a magazine show there's even a song at the end Martin and I listened to one whilst driving through a blizzard uh, across the top of a mountain in Colorado so it was terrifying because we could not see like mm. everything was white couldn't tell what was the road or not and we are listening to Modern Man and I thought I do not want to die listening to you talking to a woman about blue dildos <laughs> well modernman.co.uk M-A-N-N uh, and Martin you too have your own well your numerous spin-off I've products I've got a couple um, choose one well no let me don't be greedy I've got two I've got two on front so I've got Sound of the Ladies which is my music podcast and it's its 100th episode wow um, it's only a monthly I remember podcast. our 100th episode so, yeah. oh, so, we so young. That's a hundred songs that I've recorded and put out, and uh, this and this month because it's the hundredth episode, I'm, I'm going to be putting out covers of the people I've done of my songs, which is uh, making them sound better. So that's quite nice. <laughs> uh, and I do song, a podcast called Song by Song, which is about the music of Tom Waits. Uh, we've recently had uh, the lovely Jeffrey Craner from Night Vale. Um, and uh, he's our a guest, guest at the moment. He's, he's, a, he's, a, he's such a uh, yeah. He's a fantastic guest. He hadn't listened to uh, Tom Waits, had he? I don't think so. No, don't, <laughs> many of our guests haven't listened <laughs> to Tom got Waits. The hang of it quickly. <laughs> they learn quickly. Yeah, I've yeah, never yeah. listened to Tom Waits. I haven't been invited on. Well, if you play your cards right. Yeah, no. yeah, yeah. We, we, we've got like another twelve albums to yeah, get yeah. through. So you know, just hang, just hang on there. Uh, that's songbysongpodcast.com. There we go. And remember as well, uh, if all of that weren't enough to get your free audiobook as well, answermethispodcast.com/slash. Audible. Thanks. And uh, we will return in two weeks. Two weeks Thursdays. Mark it in your diary. Bye. Bye.